Hello everyone. Welcome to Math for Knitters. This is Laura and today is episode 34. I um, am going to talk this week a little bit less about math, although it does pertain a little bit and more about another one of my um, themes for the last year especially has been um, fear, specifically overcoming fear. Um, fundamentally, I started this podcast because I thought that people were afraid of, uh, of math or arithmetic, and that was preventing them from really completely embracing everything they're capable of with their knitting. And I had kind of a transformative experience, um, in October of 2006, I believe, although it could have been five. I think it, maybe it was five. I don't remember, but um, I'll look it up. But I met a photographer, um, and I think I've talked about this before, but I, I had a portfolio review with a photographer from Dallas named David Leeson. And it was kind of scary um, because he had just, actually, I think he had just won the Pulitzer when I met him. And so I was a little intimidated, but fortunately I'd been able to talk to him before, um, on a car trip the day before. And we talked a long time about everything, life and photography and video and everything. And so when he looked at my portfolio, I was a little overwhelmed, but also grateful, um, that such a kind talented person was taking time to talk to me about my work and what he said to me was that you have to let go of everything you're afraid of you have to release your fear I, he could see somehow in my photographs that I was maintaining a distance an emotional distance between myself and my subjects. And he was, he was right. As soon as I started releasing that, my photography got better and I feel like it's still getting better. And it turns out that knitting, um, works essentially the same way <laughs> and, um, life works that way. Um, I don't know if you read this blog, but I love to read, um, crazy aunt Pearl because she's hilarious, but also she talks about this, about how fear restricts your life. And I've noticed with myself, it was restricting my life in ways that I didn't even notice. I was saying no before I even knew the question that I was asking myself. And so, and especially this time of year, um, happy St. Patrick's day. Um, by the way, (laughs) About a year ago, something um, happened to me that was a little scary, um, but it was also a good thing because it provided a really final sense of closure for something that had been needing it for a long time. And this brings me back full circle to my knitting. Um, At this time last year, I started a project that I shared with, with you, um, was the, the dragon skin sweater because I felt like I needed something that would give me a sense of safety 
and a, a shield in life. And it was also turned out to be a fantastic um, symbol of, of how how far I've come as a knitter. And it's also, it's a beautiful garment. So it serves a lot of purposes for me. And um, the work I just finished, literally just finished, <laughs> uh, did the same thing. I have been trying to think of a gift to make for 10 different women. And first of all, it's 10 different projects. So I didn't want it to be anything too long or complicated because I don't have the rest of my life to make these, make these things. And I didn't want it to be too pedestrian because these are women that I will probably be knitting for for a long time. And I've already started out this year making some of them a lot of the same or very similar projects. And so I really wanted to, to set the bar and to make it something that would make sense and something they could use and something that wouldn't drive me nuts to make it 10 times over. I'm not the kind of knitter who likes to make the same project over and over and over. In fact, the only two things I've made more than once, um, really, well, no three things. I made a baby booty pattern that I love that I got off the internet some time ago. And I also have made um, Elizabeth Zimmerman baby surprises. I've made more than one of those. And I've made more than one uh, felted slippers from Knit Two Together. So, you know, those are, well, and I started, <laughs> I started a second um, uh, bad juju uh, voodoo doll from the antichraft.com, but I didn't finish it. <laughs> and it's looking like I might just chuck that project. It just didn't turn out the way I wanted. So I'm, I'm just, I'm not happy with it. And I was using scrap yarn anyway, and it doesn't take too much yarn. So I'm, I might just jettison. It's approaching jettison levels of me not wanting to finish it. But anyway, so I was casting about and casting about and casting about, and it's a gift that's going to be given in the summer in June. And so it didn't make sense to do something felted to me and, they're all so different. The youngest is 15 and the oldest is in her 50s. And I'm not sure. I mean, that's difficult for me because you think, okay, so the 15-year-old probably wants something, you know, fashionable and cute. The 57-year-old wants something fashionable and uh, sophisticated. So, gosh, what kind of project can do all those things and be quick and be relatively easy and not drive me nuts to make 10 times? So I was casting about and looking and searching on Ravelry and like, I just wasn't finding anything. And finally I, uh, I put up a, I remembered that, um, I'm going to mispronounce this, so I'm sorry. Annie Modisit, Modisit, Modisit. I, I really, I, I think it's Modisit, but I think I say it wrong. She's this wonderful, uh, knitwear designer who lives in uh, the Twin Cities now. Just moved there from New Jersey last year. And she has a book called Twist and Loop about jewelry designs to knit and crochet from wire. And I've I've seen the I've seen it before and to be honest, I wasn't crazy about the cover art. It's um a very interesting necklace with a braided trim that you tie on and I just mm, I just wasn't crazy about that. And unfortunately, sometimes that's enough to make me pass over uh, a book if I don't already have a strong interest 
in the book itself, like say Walker's knitting from the top, which frankly is not my idea of good cover art, but it's such a good book that I was totally willing to overlook that. Um, unfortunately, uh, when I see, when I saw this book in the store, I didn't even open it up. I just said, "Ugh, ugh," and moved right on. And also, I couldn't think of a reason I would want to would want to do that. It just seemed un- unnecessary to me at the time. But I thought of that book, and I looked around a little, and I couldn't really find anything on Ravelry um, where people were making projects. And so I was like, eh, I don't know. But I put a call out on uh, D's dashboard for the book to see if anyone wanted to trade with me for this book. So I, I found someone and I traded uh, two skeins of a dark blue piece fleece that's kind of heathered and flecked with, with lighter bits like natural white colors that I've had. Oh gosh, I've had that yarn since 2003. And so I was clearly... Um, that's a long time. Uh, I know for most people, that's not a long time to keep yarn, but for me, that's pretty much as old as my stash um, gets, except for hand spun that my sister made back when I first started knitting. I still have a lot of that because I can't rare, can't bring myself to use it up. Um, hand spun on a spindle, no less. She has a wheel now, and I still cherish yarn she gives me, but um, the spindle yarn I, I hold in especially high esteem. But anyway... I had this um, this yarn, so I traded it for the book, and the book came, and I, l- I looked at it, and at first I was kind of discouraged because they were all kind of complex and hard, but I got to the, the chapter on earrings, and the very first project, I think, let me look, first of all, it's a beautiful book, very well bound, um, very pretty, very well designed, and the photography is gorgeous too, so, so I really hi- recommend it highly if you're thinking about even trying this. Um, wreath earrings, estimated time, 45 minutes each. So that really fit the bill on that. And I looked at it and the way they have it presented in the book is not as an earring, as just what it is, which is a small hoop of knitting. And it's about an inch and a quarter across. Um, and it just looks so gorgeous and so perfect because the circle, you know, is, is a symbol of eternity and connectedness and togetherness and for these 10 women I wanted that symbol and I just loved the way it looked so I, I decided to do it I went and got the supplies I went and got the wire and I talked to some other people about it and then I couldn't make myself try it for a whole week which for me is a long time so for a week I avoided the projects by starting a pair of socks a whole week. I knit one sock, I knit half of a second sock. I was sock mania. I was knitting socks. <laughs> and I don't knit a lot of socks, so that was that was interesting in and of itself. But I was convincing myself that I was really excited about making these socks. <laughs> when in reality, I was afraid of, of screwing up. And finally, I, I made myself, I had a day off, and I said, you know what, I'm going to try this. It's $8 of wire if I screw it up. It's not the end of the world. Worst thing, I break a knitting needle, and I need to go buy another one. Because <laughs> um, I was using wood needles for the cast-on and little plastic needles for the actual knitting. And I finally did also enlist a little steel crochet hook I have for finishing off. 
And I read the book a little, and she's got a lot of really deep, really good, really well-written instructions about how to do this. So if you're wanting to overcome your fear of knitting with wire, I think this is a great book. I also did go online, though, and read the Anti-Craft. Um, there was a pattern there a while ago about a wi- it was a wire knitting pattern, and she talks about how to do it and just get over it already, <laughs> which I thought was, was great. So I, and then I just did it. I cast on and I knit. This is so easy. Cast on 24, purl one row, knit one row, cast off. Boom. You're done with the knitting. Then all you have to do is kind of stretch and pull and manipulate and twist and roll and mess with the the thing you've knitted to make it into what you want it to look like. And what I love about it too is depending on how you finish it, it can look completely different. You can make it basically a flat ribbon held in a in a circle, uh, which is more or less the first one I made. You can make it a really tight little tube of knitted wire um, that's in a it's in a wreath shape. You could you could really you could even make it. I think you could even make it a little bigger and twist it around itself and make a little miniature skein <laughs> or something that would look like a skein of yarn. And I think that would be very cute. Um, I'm already trying, I'm already, even as I was making these 10 little circles, I was thinking about how it would be so easy to change it. In fact, you could make, you could cast on uh, fewer stitches and probably just cast on and then cast off and make tiny miniature earrings that would match, that wouldn't be the same size. For me, an inch and a half earring um, is quite big. I, I I do have very large earrings I wear for belly dancing, but in general life, I, I tend to wear smaller earrings than that. My only concern about the earrings is that it's so light. In the end, the the wire knitting is so wonderfully light. It's such a wonderful necklace. I love it. Um, that I would almost want findings for the earring posts that were um, hooked completely around in some way um, or that had those little um, plastic things on the back that would keep them on because I would think they would just flip right out of my ear because they're so light. But I could be wrong. But... Anyway, overall, it was, it's been a fantastic project. It's been a great experience. And um, I'm just going to give the 10 necklaces to the women and let them choose their own chains um, because that way they can wear it at whatever level they feel suits them. And so fantastic. You know, problem solved, project finished, fear um, overcome. And I'm betting that just about everybody has some thing in knitting or in life or in some other area of their lives that they're afraid of. Um, I was terrified of sneaking before I did it the first time. And if you don't know, that's when you knit something and then cut it to make a hole to make your sleeve holes or your fronts or your cardigan or whatever. I was terrified of that. And all it took was one person showing me how to do it. And my knitting group kind of holding my hand while I did it. And I, and I did it. And um, that was actually one of the first projects. It was the first project I completed right after I moved um, to where I live now. And it was the first thing I did under the direction of my of my fabulous knitting group, who I miss very much and hope to see this week. I haven't seen them in a while because I've been working really a lot. So 
I mean, I still work a lot, but hopefully I won't be working at night <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> but that's, um, that's all she wrote. That's my story for today. And I'm not very mathematic. I'm sorry. But the, um, what's my rerun this week? My rerun this week is episode 25 and I will put it, um, I'll put it in there and I hope you have a good week. Um, it snowed here today. It's beautiful. Um, it's even more beautiful since I'm not working today, so I don't have to go stomp around in it any more than I want to. I, yeah, so that's it. I hope you have a wonderful day and have fun with your first new project. And I, I really encourage you to, to just try it. You know, if there's something that you've been wanting to try and you're afraid of screwing it up, try it. I mean, that, that to me now is a reason to try something. It still might take me a little while, like a week, <laughs> to overcome my fear about trying it and about failing. But in the end, you have to look at what you have to lose and what you have to gain. And in my experience so far, what you have to gain is so much more than what you have to lose from not trying it. So anyway, um, I hope you're having a wonderful uh, couple of weeks and hopefully I get to podcast again uh, fairly soon and we'll see. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Math for Knitters. This is episode 25. Okay, so um, this was going to be another relatively short show, mostly because I've not had time to work on the pattern that I was asked to <laughs> tell you how to size up or size down, and I can't think of any other big techniques. So today I'm going to do some thank yous, and I'm going to go over a idea that I've gone over before, but it bears repeating, and I'm going to tell you about a great book that I just got. So let's get started. First of all, uh, I want to thank everybody who has left me notes on the blog or has emailed me and said nice things to me. And I call this a period of upheaval, which is not entirely correct. It's more of a transition. And ultimately, it's a very good transition, but it is a little, um, it is a little sticky. So I'm really happy every time I get to read something nice about people who love the show or who miss the show or who want to hear from me again. So that makes me very happy. And I'm also very thankful for my knitting group here, my local knitting group here, and all my friends who have been very supportive. So that's that. Also, I listened to a podcast a while ago um, that's called Beneath the Fiber Moon. I've talked about it before on the show. And she talked about a pattern that she had for a hat but she wanted to make it either bigger or smaller. I don't remember which. But here's how you can take a hat pattern and change it to fit whatever size you like. First of all, you need the measurement of the thing that you want. Like my head, for instance, is 23 inches around. And then I like to subtract 10% of ease so that it would be nice and snug because earlier in my knitting days, I would make 23-inch hats, which would fly off in a stiff wind, which is really inconvenient because I live in a place where there's a lot of stiff wind. <laughs> so in, in my case, I would subtract two inches and aim for 21 inches and do a gauge swatch. And then 
take a piece of paper and write down your gauge, your both row and and uh, stitch gauge, and the desired measurement that you want, and then the gauge from the pattern, and the um, size, the final size in the pattern. And what I like to do is do my new measurements in one color of ink, like say black, and my old ones, those are the ones from the pattern, in a different color, say blue, so it's easier for me to keep things straight. And then all you have to do is convert the cast on stitches for the hat into inches and see what what that gives you. So say the hat was written for an 18 inch size and you wanted it to be 21, then you would just have to divide 21 by 18 and that would give you a ratio to use to apply to the number in in the pattern. So basically you're looking at hmm, wait, that's not right. <laughs> that's not right at all. Okay, so you're looking for a 21 inch hat. Basically what you're going to do is redesign the hat for your gauge and your size. So if you get four stitches to the inch and you know that you want a 21 inch hat, then you have to take 41 and stay with me kids, multi or 21 and multiply it by four. Um, so that would be 84 stitches. And you cast on your 84 stitches and if the hat has any crazy, most hats don't have any crazy shaping or anything, but just pay attention. Like if you know um, that it has a measurement in inches, then like a depth measurement, like say, say it says knit for five inches straight, you just do the same thing. You just knit for five inches straight. If it says do X number of rows, then you have to convert your rows from the old gauge of the pattern to the new gauge that you're working at. So how that works is you write, say you're, I'm just going to use really numbers that don't make any sense but are easy to do math for. Say the old uh, row gauge was five rows to an inch and yours is four rows to an inch and it tells you to work ten rows. So in that case that would be two inches and since you're getting four rows to an inch you only have to work eight rows. And finish your top however you like. I generally take my number of stitches and see if they're divisible by eight. And in my example, I have um, four stitches to the inch and 21 inches, which is 82, which is just shy of being divisible by eight. So 80, 80 would be. And so you have two choices. You can either cast on two fewer stitches and have the hat be a little bit more snug or you can work on 82 stitches until you get ready to decrease for the top of the hat and then just decrease in the very beginning of the round and halfway across. So you would just do like a K2 together at the first and then work 40 stitches and then do a K2 together again. And then start, you know, when you get back to the front, then start doing your decrease rounds. And I have, once again, I've covered this before, but um, I like to do eight decreases every other round on a hat. And so in this case, you'd be starting from 80 stitches. That's 10 sections of eight. So you would, for instance, in your first decrease round, knit eight, K2 together, around, and then seven, and then six, and then five, and so on. And that's how I 
would change the size of a hat from a pattern. I'm sorry, that was very sloppily done. <laughs> I'm clearly not used to this anymore. Um, although I am feeling a little bit as if I should change the name of the show to um, Books for Knitters, <laughs> because the, the thing I've been most excited about lately is talking to you about books that I get to buy with the fabulous um, fondage that my readers send me. And the book I bought this week is called um, Favorite Mittens. It's by Robin Hansen. That's Robin like the bird. And it's best traditional mitten patterns from fox and geese and fences and flying geese and partridge feet. And to me, this is one of those books that was a legendary kind of book and has been out of published, out of print for a long time. And on the back, it says that in 1983, a quiet phenomenon captured the attention of knitters all across North America. It came in the form of an unusual and charming book of traditional mitten patterns from Maine. So it's really nice. And since it's from Maine, it's um, very, very, very warm mittens. And we've had a terrible cold snap this week where I live. And I was wearing my lovely sideways mittens from Elizabeth Zimmerman and a big gust of wind hit me and just blew right through them. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so that night I happened to be at the yarn shop and I picked up this book and I said, I really need this book. <laughs> um, it's published by Down East Books and their website is www.downeastbooks.com. And on the show's website, I will link somewhere where you can buy the book and also if I can find any errata I'll link to that and as usual the show's website is www.math4knitters that's the number four dot blogspot.com okay so basically as you might imagine uh, this book has a lot of mittens in it but it also has a few hats and some really really darling uh, baby mittens it has a great section in the beginning about sizing and how to, to make your mitten fit you perfectly. And also the standard sizes, both in inches and centimeters for children and also for adult sizes of, of mittens. So that's really good. Um, talks about traditional uh, methods and has really fabulous little drawings of, uh, some of some of the techniques, although some of them are photographed as well. Um, it is all in black and white, except for the cover, but that's frankly fine with me. Oh, wait, actually, no, there is a section in the center with some color photos. Um, but it's it's a book, it's really chock full, lots of patterns, very well explained, and I think would be a great starting point for somebody who would never knit mittens or a good way to learn other ways of making mittens. So I'm just going to flip through it also talks about felting, which it calls fulling, which is, I guess, technically the proper term. So fulling fishermen's mittens, and that's covered on page 34. Um, something called double rolled mittens, which is a very thick one where they're knit in one color with a narrow roll of unspun fleece carried behind the work, caught up between stitches, just as one weaves in long floats of yarn in double knitting. So that's really interesting. Oh, this is my favorite bit. Uh, the shag cuff is, touch, is a touch hard to pass up. Easy to apply, it looks smashing, as well as old-fashioned in a very nice way, like the fur blankets in the film Dr. Zhivago. <laughs> and I, I love that line because I 
was actually named for Laura, the character in Dr. Zhivago. So that's that's quite fun. And then there's uh, something. So it explains how to do that. And also, I'm just flipping through here. The thing is, the patterns do take a little while to look at because they have great... Um, instead of just describing how to do it for one size, it has a table after each pattern explaining all the different sizes that you can get from any given any given pattern, which is great. There's also fleeced stuffed mittens, which you may recognize if you read the Yarn Harlot's blog as her thrummed mittens, which involve, let me see, they're also called thrummed or drummed mittens, and they come from Labrador and northern Newfoundland. So um, basically you have, and it's a great little section in, in these patterns about why, where the pattern comes from, what they mean, you know, why they're made this way. It's really interesting. So I just, I, it's a very well-researched, thoughtful, fun book. Also, it has wristers, which I think that nowadays you'd probably call wrist warmers more. And there's a couple of different styles of those. There's a more, one with kind of a thumb gore and then one with, um, without one, which is just a very simple little loop that goes over the thumb to hold it in place. And then, of course, the fox and geese mittens, which are really, really beautiful. And uh, striped mittens, flipping through here. Salt and pepper mittens, which is like a dark and light, dark and light, dark and light pattern, which I love. Uh, sawtooth mittens, just different patterns. Also, there's a great, um, in the color section, there's a little example of striped mittens and how the way that you carry the two yarns, like when you're working with two colors, affects the finished look of the item. If you hold one, if you always pass one yarn over the other, then it's going to stand out a little bit more in the finished product, and there's a great example of that. Also, of course, really adorable baby mittens, which is great, and they're, re they're really cute, <laughs> little thumbless mittens. Um, then part chapter three is double knit patterns from Atlantic Canada. I think maybe I should just read you the sections in the front and that might be a little better. Okay. So part one is general and uh, practical woolies from up north and down east. Part two is double knit mittens from Maine's upcountry. Part three is double knit, mi double knit mittens from Atlantic Canada. Part four is diamonds and waves from Newfoundland and Labrador. Part five is baby foxes and goslings, double knits for babies and small children. And that's really cute. And the best part is bef even before part one, there are two introductions and then general instructions about how to read the directions, reading charts, sizes, knitting needles and yarn sizes, and the materials for making traditional mittens. Instructions on casting on, cuffs, tension, working the hand, two-color knitting, joining a new color and weaving it in, joining a new yarn by sewing, increasing for the thumb, a wild variety of thumb gores, casting on over the thumb, and ending the mitten, and also winding a center pull ball. And that's actually doing it by hand without a ball winder. Let me look and see if they use a, yep, they use a nostapine, or actually they call it a nostapinder, or yarn winding stick. When I was first knitting, I would actually use the 
inside of a toilet uh, paper roll. So, you know, when you run out, you have that little cardboard tube. I would use those <laughs> to wind yarn on. Now I just do it in my hands. I still don't actually have a proper ball winder. But so that's a great book if you have any interest in warm, warm, warm mittens or any history in any of those parts of the North America, you might find that really nice. So I highly recommend it. I've been oogling it for years, so I'm, I'm very excited to be able to finally have it. So that's, um, that's the show today. Um, I hope you enjoy it, and I really dig the encouragement I've gotten from various people over the weeks. And I if hope if anybody has a question or a problem or a, a math thing that they want me to research, please let me know. Leave a comment on the blog and I will get right on it. All right. In the meanwhile, happy knitting. Bye-bye.